I saw this meme floating on social media this week. Quote, I guess we need to revise our list of activities that you can no longer do for fear of being shot and killed. One, attend school. Two, shop at Walmart. Three, attend church. Four, go to a concert. Five, Bible study. Six, shop for groceries. Seven, see a movie in a theater. And now, eight, attend a patriotic public event surrounded by police, AKA good guys with guns. I'm so done with this. No thoughts and prayers for me. We need to do something, anything, any sort of action would be so much more meaningful than any empty prayers." Unquote. I'm down with that. <laughs> I bet you are too. We need to do something. Any sort of action would be so much more meaningful than any empty prayers. We've grown accustomed to violence, clearly addicted to it, really, if our entertainments are any indication. The bloodier, the better. It's everywhere. Not just over there somewhere, somewhere else, but here in New York City and Buffalo and Charleston and Uvalde, Texas, and most recently, Highland Park, Illinois. Violence in our neighborhoods, on our streets, even in our homes. And if we were honest, within ourselves as well. We may not act on it, but I bet we can feel it boiling up inside from time to time. It's found wherever humans reside, an inextricable part of our nature. That's one of the lessons we learned from the earliest chapters of Genesis when Cain slew his brother Abel. Right there, right in the beginning of our sacred story, fratricide makes a grand entrance and then wends its way throughout the biblical narrative. Though we don't usually think of it this way, the famous parable you just heard from Luke is a story about violence and its aftermath. That's how it begins, like a notation on a police beat blotter. A man was beaten and left for dead on the side of the road. No suspects are currently in custody. Here's a synopsis of an episode of Law and Order lifted off Netflix. A body in the Hudson holds the key to judicial corruption. When an unidentified body is found in the Hudson River, detectives search for the identity of this floater, discovering her to be the missing partner in the middle of a shaky marriage. Jesus' version of a screenplay begins this way. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers who stripped him, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. Jesus knows his audience. He knows the human situation, what grabs our attention, how fear activates our anxiety. But the mystery in Jesus' script doesn't have to do with the identity of the victim or the perpetrators. He directs our attention to everyone else in the story, and by implication, all of us. Why get involved when the risks are so unknown? Why get involved with someone beyond your tribe? Why care about him? So one more guy gets offed. So another offender gets away with assault and battery. The world's a violent place. 
The man shouldn't have been on the road to Jericho by himself anyway. And by the way, if he'd been armed, he might have had a chance. It's terrible, but what's that got to do with me today? And so Jesus' story might end like that. But that isn't the end of the story. He imagines another sort of ending. Or we might say his surprising climax isn't so much an ending as it is a beginning. Rather than succumbing to the spirit of evil and death, the Samaritan, without so much as a second thought, gives in to the spirit of life. Pointing out the obvious, he does something. He acts. And here we need to emphasize how Jesus stacked the deck. The Jews considered Samaritans an abomination. They were unclean and had abandoned the true practice of the true God. That the Samaritans should be the one to lend aid while the righteous leaders pass on the other side of the road brings the point of the story into very sharp relief. This would not have been lost on the lawyer who set out to entrap Jesus. Yes, yes, Jesus, I'm supposed to love God and neighbor, but just who is my neighbor when all is said and done? What are the limits of my obligation to love? We could picture Jesus' answer from the perspective of the same geography today. If one were a Jewish Zionist, he could think of the Samaritan as a Muslim Palestinian living in Gaza. And if one were a Palestinian, she could imagine a Jewish homesteader in the West Bank, implacable enemies. For the sincere seeker, the parable prompts this question. What's the soft underbelly of my lesser self? Which people do I deplore? Who's my tribe and who isn't my tribe? Mega right-wingers, woke progressives, enshrouded Muslims, illegal aliens, even some uncomely relative. This self-examination is a really, really important discipline today, given the fractures in our common life. There's a raging fear that we are being pulled apart in anger and anguish into tribal camps, associating in media and networks only with our kind. It lies behind so much of the rampant violence and our inability to do anything about it. We're stuck and it's killing us. This fracturing can only be addressed by people choosing not to be so fractured, by doing something, by acting. Jesus presents the Samaritan as a loving rebuke to the death-dealing forces that yank humans apart. When it comes to neighborliness, human distinctions rooted in fear and loathing dissolve in God's laboratory with a solvent named love, revealing a mystical human chemistry, the fundamental connection among all people. And although the Good Samaritan is among the very best known biblical stories, the radical nature of this human chemistry lesson is easily dismissed as simply sentimental, irrelevant to the realism of life as we know it. All well and good to have a lovely story with a sentimental ending, but that's got little to do with what I've got to do in the world as it is. We gotta be tough-minded, looking out for our own kind, armed to the teeth. But friends, that attitude simply won't do in our world as it is. 
a violent world, a, a world given over to fear and death. And it won't do for anyone with anything close to a heart for God and a longing for eternity. That's what the lawyer originally asked about. Teacher, he said, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, maybe he was expecting a lawyerly repartee, a clever theological debate about proper doctrine. But here's the kicker. Notice that Jesus didn't say the answer had anything to do with proper doctrine. As a matter of fact, that's exactly what the Samaritan didn't have, supposedly. Proper doctrine, proper religious practice. What the Samaritan did have, however, was the heart for the deepest truth, evidenced in his doing. For the sake of love, he acts. There is no debate, no hesitation. The third man to walk along the road that day, the dreaded alien, simply chose to act on behalf of life. Evil and death are real, no question about that. But they don't have the final word, not for those with a heart for God. By his act of mercy, the Samaritan writes a new end to the human story. His action reveals that the priest and Levite, in their passivity and reluctance to respond, are actually, get this, conspiring with the violence of their day. Remember, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and it won't be a band of robbers who will strip, beat, and hang him from the cross. Instead, it will be a collection of political and religious leaders, people well-versed in the ethics of their various systems of justice, so-called, who out of their tribalistic fears will arrange for his death. The lesson is clear, very clear, very simple, very searing, very demanding in its way, but still very, very clear. No tricky doctrines to uncover, just the essential command to love. What does eternal life look like? Well, in this case, it looks just like a Samaritan, a dreaded other reaching out to a neighbor. On his way to Jerusalem and his own certain death, Jesus tells a story of some men going about their business, people not unlike us going about our business, who come across a desperate victim of violence. And one of them, the Samaritan, despised by the righteous types, responds in love for his neighbor. Who was his neighbor? Why, the anonymous bloody man on the side of the road. It could have been anyone, everyone. Indeed, for Jesus, it was everyone. Yes, but, but at the end then, what's the point of it for us, Jesus? And he answers, Go and do likewise. Go and do. Go and do. Go and do. 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 Do something for God's sake. Change the world. Start with yourself and go from there.